0: Welcome to the New Space India podcast, a bi-weekly talk show that brings you exclusive stories from people driving India's space activities. The New Space India podcast is pleased to announce our association with Dassault Systems, a global leader in providing businesses and people with collaborative virtual environments to imagine sustainable innovations. Dassault Systems Solutions supports startups, small and medium-scale enterprises, and original equipment manufacturers in developing disruptive solutions for space launchers and satellite propulsion. Hi, everyone, and welcome to yet another episode of the New Space India podcast. Uh, We're very lucky to have here Jason Kanigan, who is uh, based in the U.S., and I and Jason have been around uh, in Michael's uh, Zoom calls, the, the Starbridge VC, and I know him for quite a long time in the industry, and especially the Cold Star Project has several episodes that are very insightful, to learn about the entire technology, the policy, the entrepreneurship, the Space Force, and everything else around as well. So, Jason, thank you so much for taking the time, and uh, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks, Narian. I appreciate it. And, uh, yeah, I've enjoyed the heck out of getting to know you as well. Uh, You're one of the few people in the space industry who gets what a commercial uh, company actually needs to be, and you've created that with SatSearch. So it's been fun to watch and, and talk to you about.
0: Great. So, Jason, as I know it, you know, you come from uh, experiences in various industries and especially with a very strong focus on sales and, you know, getting people to focus on process and things like that. So, would love to know, you know, what then drove you to the space sector and uh, what did you think that is contrasting from the space industry with other industries?
1: Mm. Yeah. So I started out, uh, in the manufacturing area. Uh, I have an operations management background and eventually got into operational excellence. Um, I'm a board member of the operational excellence society, uh, run by Joseph Paris. Um, that was fine, except my first boss wanted me to be a sales guy <laughs> and I really resisted that. But, uh, as time went on, I discovered he was a good talent scout and, uh, it's, it's a role that um, suits me pretty well. And it does come back to that idea of process, like we talked about, uh, getting things down into a repeatable series of steps and uh, recording those steps so that people can understand them. And then the uh, operational excellence part, it comes out of looking at them, right? Process improvement, right? Should we be doing these steps at all? Can we take something out? Can we add something in that would make it better? Uh, most companies are kind of blinding you know they got their blinders on and they're just walking along doing things the way they always did because this is the way we do it and uh, that is the worst <laughs> if you hear yourself or people in your organization saying we've always done it this way you know but we've always done it this way then you know you have a problem so yeah uh so I, i've been doing process improvement and factory i was a plant manager when i was 25 i'm 46 now so i have a uh, you know 20 years of experience in in that sort of thing and um, mm-hmm. Um, also, I've been a sales trainer since, I guess, around 2010. My first role, I'm Canadian. Uh, my first role in the U.S. was senior consultant to a uh, sales training firm. So <laughs> it's, it's always a good field to get back into. Um, so when it comes to the space industry and area, and the, you know, there's positives and negatives, right? Why did I get into it? Uh, I had this vision of myself running an asteroid mining company when I was a teenager. And so this is around 1990. And I made the mistake of telling some people... <laughs> I was a kid, right? And uh, they laughed. And uh, I was like, okay, I'm not going to tell anybody else about that. And I kind of put it on the back burner for years. And then um, one day around 2014, 2015, I was looking at news articles about deep space industries and planetary resources. And I was like, oh my gosh, it's happening. Right? We're doing this, right? And I had no discernment. <laughs> I didn't know how close they were to doing this or how far away. But, uh, you know, it was in the news. It was happening. So I got the vice president of business development for planetary resources on a private call, did a half hour, 45 minute interview with him and got uh, a snapshot of what was going on and that they were trying to get out of uh, the NASA grant system and create a real commercial based business. And I think people need to understand in this industry, what a commercial space business would look like, right? They, they're still glomming on to the air force or, um, or or NASA or DOD or defense innovation unit or whatever it happens to be ESA. Right. Um, you know in your own country right they, whatever whatever space organization there is and oh well i'll invent something and i'll get grant money from it well that's not a commercial business andarian you know this <laughs> i know this right we need customers we need to solve a problem for somebody who recognizes that it's a problem agrees that it's a problem and will pay money to solve it and uh, unfortunately We've got a lot of engineering-minded space founders who are great engineers, and they decide, oh, I want to build this thing because it's a pet idea of mine. Um, There is no customer for it, but then they go and try and shop it around to venture capitalists and and, uh, grant funding agencies and say, will you pay me X amount of zillions of dollars to uh, develop this idea? And that's not a commercial business. A commercial business has customers, it solves a problem, and it gets good at uh, solving that problem for a profit. And we're going to be digging a little more into that in this show. So what I see standing out in the space industry on the positive side is that it has great camaraderie and enthusiasm, right? Um, When we had the the lockdowns happening in 2020 due to our, our global illness situation, uh, that shall not be named <laughs> uh, i I immediately hosted two uh conferences, virtual conferences online, right and uh it was a lot of fun. I got a ton of space speakers together, probably too many <clears throat> and uh and and a lot of people were attracted to that sort of thing at the time, right they they didn't have zoom fatigue or anything but um you know, if if I had gone into the injection molded plastics industry, I like to joke, uh, the doors probably would have been slammed in my face. Right? Uh, the company owners in a, a mature, almost ossified industry like that <clears throat> would not have been as friendly. Uh, they would have been more scared and concerned with protecting their intellectual property or their source of supply or customer uh, lists or something like that. Right? Um, whereas people in the space industry understand that space is difficult, it is challenging, people can die. Um, And so there's this camaraderie and and general underlying sense of enthusiasm that bubbles up that everybody who is in the space industry recognizes, right? And of course, we've got our range of um, colorful personalities in the industry. Some are a little rough around the edges, some are more (laughs) refined and friendly. But overall, people tend to respect each other in this field. For, for whatever it is, right? Whatever role they're coming in from an engineering or sales or space law regulatory, right? It's, uh, there's some respect there. The, the negative side of it is that there is not much business sense, right? There's, uh, hey, I want to build this thing and give me $200 million for it. There is, uh, <laughs> you know, and even, or, or just, uh, I want to invent this thing. And there's no thought of actually building a business or an exit strategy. You know, um, folks like Megan Crawford will give examples of uh, venture capital um, funded firms that did have a successful exit. And it is, you know, 100 plus over the last 10 years or something like that's a decent number. But it's not... It's not like they meant to do that, <laughs> those founders, right? It's very rare, right? You get a Dan Faber or somebody who comes along who really understands cap tables, but that guy is one of a kind, right? He's a rarity. Most folks in the space industry are engineering-minded and do not understand uh, why a company would be funded and where that, uh, where that exit strategy is. And believe me, the venture capital firm has the exit strategy in mind, and they want it executed in six, eight, 10 years, you know, tops. So those are are the pluses and minuses of being in the industry. And I love it. And uh, so I'm going to break for uh, another question there. Talk
0: quite a bit. (laughs) Yeah, no no worries. It was really, you know, insightful in that sense. So you've done, you know, hundreds of episodes, I would suppose, now with the Cold Star Project. Uh, There's quite a lot of uh, library of content that you kind of created having conversations with you know, everybody from the top military brass in the US to uh, some of the youngest startup uh, entrepreneurs trying to build all of these things. I mean, what is the, you know, why do you want to create this library of content for people out there? And uh, what's the motivation behind?
1: Yeah. So the Cold Star Project um, is, (laughs) Joseph Ferris and I joke about this a lot, you know, it's, it's inertly named, right? It could be anything. And, uh, and that's, it's protein, right? I can change it to whatever I want, um, and so I started out interviewing software as a service founders and agency founders uh, to, to understand the challenges of scaling businesses, which I which I know a lot about. Um, and you'll hear a lot, that word is almost overused, right? And it means different things to different people. Is it human resources? Is it systems? is it advertising, right? Um, and so you're going to stub your toe <laughs> as you grow. And a guy like me and my organization, we know a lot about these challenges and can help you uh, so that you don't hurt yourself as you grow. Uh, we we identify what these issues are going to be beforehand before you run into them and, and handle them. So that's what it started out as. Then um, after that, uh, that interview with Planetary Resources, uh, I realized that I could be in in space and we, we didn't cover this yet and i had imposter syndrome full-on imposter syndrome like 2016 jason was like i don't know these guys they got their stanford uh, engineering phds and, and whatnot right and they can run circles around me and i really was in this mindset that somehow i had to compete with them <laughs> which is laughable to me now because i've worked you know my head around that but uh I was like, "Who am I to be going into the space industry?" And so I kept talking every so often to somebody in the space industry and doing an episode here and there. And they would say, "Jason, you belong in there because they need the business sense you have a, and the, the 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 manufacturing sense you have a lot to bring to the table, right?" Um, and so finally, I actually started to believe them <laughs> and <laughs> and reach out to <clears throat> um, these folks. And and so for you know for anyone. Wanting to do something similar to this, um, my purpose is to build my network and um, and sincerely build it. Right, like I want to add value to everybody that I talk to. Um, I enjoy meeting people, and um, I've been told I'm a great interviewer. It <laughs> you know, there must be something happening after ten plus years of running shows, but um, but still, you know, it, it took a while to normalize that sense. Um, yesterday. I called up the Air Force Research Lab in New Mexico, talked to a captain who i had spoken with before, six months ago when I did uh, an interview last. And uh, it, it was very smooth, right? It wasn't, who are you? What do you do? <laughs> it was, oh, hey, Jason. Yeah, yeah, let's hook this up, right? And, uh, and get on the calendar to, to interview the dr- director. And so that is the, the long-term benefit that I'm looking for, right, is to have that network. And the, the show, the Cold Star Project, is uh, of an excellent vehicle for door opening and, uh, and getting that going. Now, say I want to find out about something, right? <laughs> right? I'll just go find a PhD, <clears throat> whether they're an academic or a business owner or a technical subject matter expert. And uh, ask them to be a guest, and usually they're tickle pink that somebody asked them, right? And I try and find people. For the most part, I'd say two thirds of my guests are people who are not on the the circuit, right? Um, I have to make a sale a lot of the time to convince somebody to be a guest who's very nervous, right? Peter Thorpe, who is a space illustrator, who I recently interviewed, and he's in my town. Um, I had to make the sale with him to do an in person on camera interview. He just had not been comfortable. Uh, appearing on camera. Right. And I had to work at that, <laughs> for, you know, a little bit. And I think a lot of people would give up before they got to the end result that, uh, that we want. So, um, having this library of conversations and these tend to be evergreen, right? They, they, you know, if we're talking about a specific technology, yeah, that might get a little stale or whatever, but that person And that insight onto that person, that's still going to be valid. You're going to see their manner. You're going to see uh, what their their interest is in, right? What subjects are they focusing on? They're not going to stop being interested in that, right? Even if they were to be running a business and then two years later have totally jumped out of that into something else, they're still going to have a fond interest or memory about what they did, right? And so... I like to think that I've done a lot of the the heavy lifting or the spade work for uh, for young people or whoever to come along um, and see, like, who is approachable here, right? Who doesn't ignore you or tell you to get lost or something? I, I get told no, right? Hey, hey, do you want to be a guest on a show? I get told no. Um, it's not that often, but, uh, you know, it happens, and I get uh, silenced sometimes, but, uh, you know, I've got a process, and I've learned how to run it, so... Developing that network is the is the beacon of uh, of why I host the show, and it's been a great tool for outreach and connection. It has opened doors that I would have had a much more difficult time um, banging my head against the wall. I've actually done two episodes on another podcast about um, mistakes made <laughs> and pluses about running your own podcast: good things and bad things. Right. Uh, and and uh, why being relevant to your audience is important, and then what are some of the sort of bells and whistles you should put around your uh, your your show um, to make it work? And you've done a great job with yours, Aaron. Um, it just kind of came out of the unexpected. <laughs> One day I looked and I'm like, oh, he's he's hosting his own show, but um, you know, you've got all the goodies that uh, that belong there. So yeah, so that's the the main reason. If you have a follow up question, then I'd be happy to focus in on that.
0: Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think uh, this is one thing that is uh, quite interesting, right? One of the things that I've not seen many people talk about in our industry is um, what is the time value as well as the cost of building your network and how can you kind of optimize that in today's uh, world? And at the same time, you know, what is the cost per meeting that you want to take uh, when you go to a conference or when you actually talk to a potential customer at the end? Uh, There's a lot of people who spend a lot of time and, you know, money and they actually don't put both of them together to see what is the opportunity like at the end. Unfortunately, that's also, you know, I guess driven a lot by engineers trying to run businesses at the end without knowing how a business and the metrics of business at the end. And it's also the way people then come to the table as well, because um, you will know when somebody says, uh, I'm selling a thruster. Versus i'm selling a mobility solution to somebody right so one thing that you see you know among most of the space companies as well i mean ninety percent of them is somebody coming and telling you i'm br- building the brightest technology in the world of some fashion i'm doing you know edge computing i'm building this camera and i'm building you know this fantastic new technology thruster I'm building nuclear propulsion and you know all of these other things, but they actually don't talk about what is the problem that they're solving. And how big is that problem? And how many people have that problem? And you know how many times can they sell that same solution to the same number of people uh, at the end, right? So is this something unique to our industry? Is what I'm trying to understand because I've never really worked in other industries at the end. So is this something that is prescriptive to the way people build solutions in our industry? Because you do need to have that, you know, want to have that deep tech and And space tech background, while you still want to do business here.
1: Right. Yeah. You know, a lot of venture capitalists have uh, pointed out, kind of giggling to me, that um, they'll see that hockey stick graph, the curve of exponential growth put into a slide, you know, and about the total addressable market uh, in a pitch deck. And they'll uh, tell the presenter, ask them, like, what is this? What is this doing in here? And the answers they get will be something around. Uh, well, in my uh, college class, we were told to have this. That's not a good reason, folks. <laughs> like, that's not. That's not what that is supposed to be doing there. Um, yeah, the, the cost of developing your network that that is an interesting thing because in my case, especially, uh, I've seen it as non-scalable founder time. Right. Uh I can't really delegate it. I could I could figure out ways to do it. I could have um one of my guys, for example, uh uh I think Eric would be very good at hosting his own show. Right. And he could do it. But then he would be developing those connections and he would be developing that network. And I could leverage that and it would be good, right? It's not a bad thing, but uh um that doesn't that doesn't really accomplish what I want to accomplish, right? Now, the key factor on my end is discernment. When I came into this industry, uh, in like 2018, 2019, I had no discernment. I didn't know who was real from who wasn't, right? And so I'd run into a guy who would tell me I'm building this or that, and I took them at face value, <laughs> right? And <clears throat> when, they, when they say I'm building this or that, what they actually mean is I have an engineering plan to build this or that. Not, I have customers, I have funding, I have the components figured out, I have my supply chain figured out, I have inventory management and production figured out, I know where my facility is going to be, I know <laughs> where I'm getting the parts from, where I'm going to store, store them, what the build materials is, what, all these other things, right? Uh, and so quickly, within uh, six months at the most, I'd say I had that discernment and I wouldn't allow people on my show anymore <laughs> who were just wannabes or, or dreamers, right? Who had a technical idea, but no actual business. So um, so that's the way I've sharpened my, uh, my axe, basically, of breaking into uh, these connections in the industry is developing that discernment of who's real and who's not and being able to come to that conclusion. In uh, asking just a few simple questions, right, uh, and without embarrassing anybody, it's not. It's not that I don't um, want to talk to people who who have ideas. Uh, it's just, what am what am I going to do with my non scalable founder time? Right, an hour spent by Jason is one of eight or ten or twelve that he has in a day, and uh, it's like lettuce. Right, it gets spoils if I don't use it. It spoils if I use it. It's used for that thing, whatever activity, and I can't get it back. I can't go, oops, at the end of the day, Uh, reset, (laughs) right, let's let's go back to the beginning, so, and I do think, you know, like, what you guys did, what Kartik did, and what what you guys did, uh, um, going to uh, one of the satellite shows in the United States a year or two ago, of uh, booking a ton of meetings, 50, 60 meetings, right, if I remember the story correctly, ahead of time, and then just Da, 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 da. You know, machine gun having them one after the other. That was brilliant, right? Rather than oh, I think I'll just show up and and uh, maybe find out who I might encounter, and maybe we'll have some conversations, and who knows where they're going to go, whatever, right? I think now you might pre-qualify them a little better, right, or a little differently, <clears throat> um, and and uh, search for people with certain qualities, and uh, you know book the the high intensity meetings with those folks. But, uh, yeah, that is, that is an issue is like, as a founder, you really need to make sure that you don't get stuck in meetings and to be fair in other industries, I have to worry about the same thing. Uh, I, I you know, I've been working with, uh, an agency that's doing very well financially, but, uh, they had team huddles every darn day, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Right. Um, it was half an hour of uh, mostly chit chatting and you get nine or 10 people in a zoom call or a Google team hangout or something like that. Right. And uh, people feel like I felt as a participant, I felt that I had to say something, right? It, I had to share something and like every day. And then I'm racking my brain. Like, what am I going to talk about <laughs> today? How is today different from yesterday? Right. You know, Maybe you've got something that you kick the can down the the road and uh, you've got something real doing that. So I got them to stop doing that. They're doing Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and and, uh, we'll probably back off even more. We don't have to have as many meetings as we think we do. Um, And I've watched friends who are also founders get trapped in um, running their own businesses and having internal meetings that suck up all their day. And then if you're – some people can handle that. Um, I've got a, a, an operations vice president and I know who can sit there on Zoom meeting and line them up and have them one after the other from eight in the morning until five at night and he's cool as a cucumber and he's still there, right? Focused. I can't do that. I have four meetings and I'm done, right? <laughs> My energy is out and I'm not an introvert, you know? But damn, I just can't do it, right? So as a founder, you really have to be cognizant of where you're spending your time and energy. And if you're not, Uh, I recommend you just go to your calendar and start recording for two weeks every activity that's 15 minutes or more and then review it after the two weeks. Where did I spend my time? And your jaw will probably drop and you're oh my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) And you can do all kinds of things with this. Uh, You can batch similar tasks to to, uh, organize them to get them out faster. So all your writing at one time, all your phone calls at one time, that kind of thing. Uh, Or you can eliminate certain things right you can we we tend to get what we accept narian right so if i accept walking down the street and getting punched in the face and mugged every day that's probably what's going to happen right um and people don't you can laugh but people spend their time this way they allow themselves to get mugged every day in their calendar and and have their time robbed from them and uh, they just go, well, this is the way it is. No, no, it's not. You don't have to accept that. You can put a cap on the number of hours. I do, right? I, I want like two hours a day of meetings, tops, right? Uh, and in my scheduling calendar, there are limits. Uh, I I will not do these meetings. You're going to have to book it next week or something like that, right? You know, and life is politics. Everything is personal. There are always exceptions, right? If you come along and say, Jason, I need to talk to you, I'm going to find time for Narian Prasad, right? (laughs) He's going to fit into the calendar somewhere. But, you know, other folks, we're going to get screened. Sorry, (laughs) I have to protect my time and my energy and make sure that what I'm doing with my non-scalable founder time um, is useful, right? And and gets us into that uh, that network situation, which makes life so much easier.
0: Yeah, one of the things here, you know, that I wanted to touch upon is um, the way companies are kept alive, even though they have to be dead in the industry. So the reason why I say that is because you know when a technology is pushed, when somebody comes and says, "Oh, I'm building whatever." Nuclear fueled camera that's gonna see like your, uh, you know, bathroom, and then it'll even see the cells on your body at the end from space. Uh, some somebody in the gov in the government, or you know, in the military, or somebody will say, "Oh, I'm interested in that technology," right? And I think a lot of the technology around the world, um, especially in the U.S. and other places, are funded this way, where somebody's kind of going and creating a, a new piece of technology and shopping that technology as a solution, and people are excited because, you know, it's it's not really commercial problems a lot of the people are then solving. It's, um, you know, military person thinking, oh, this is kind of new technology, and maybe it's interesting for us to do something with this, and it'll help us in some program or, or something like that, right? So it's not really attached to a business that is then attached to consumer at the end in some form or the other, and it's a very uh, different cycle, and it becomes a very self-serving thing where taxpayer money is then rotated and recycled among companies where, who are then peddling this to then shop around to the VC, saying, oh, the Space Force is then our customer here, and you should be funding all of this, and you know uh, Raytheon is going to acquire us eventually, and... So this is, you know, the usual trends uh, in in this uh, circuit, right, in all of this. But you'll never see, I don't know, a chips manufacturer uh, like Pepsi or somebody and come and say, oh, uh, we want to fund new technology of generating chips because um, our military is going to eat better chips at the end of the day or something something vague like that when it comes to normal technology. People are just looking at, okay, can this reduce uh, the production of chips by like 20% or 30%? Uh, you know, do I save more oil? Do I save more resources? Do I, you know, get a better lead time? Do I uh, get a better flavor to my consumer? These are the kind of the questions that, you know, people then kind of ask at the end. It's not about, oh, we are going to be fascinating about this particular technology uh, at the end. So for me, I think, um, unfortunately, especially because there is a large amount of government funding available in the process, in our industry especially, that keeps companies alive which shouldn't. I don't know. What do you think about this?
1: Yeah, this is okay. So, <laughs> government is not business, and and I don't think that government should be run like a business. I, I, you know, I lean more libertarian. Uh, I I do believe in taking care of other people. Um, so, I'm walking contradiction in a lot of sense. I'm a, I'm a fan of. Um, the von Mises Institute and the, the Austrian model of, uh, of economics and that, um, and this is after having three years of education in economics up to intermediate macroeconomic theory. So I know what I'm talking about, people. <laughs> uh, economics is a, is a priesthood. It is not a science, an exact science. Uh, let's begin with that. So government and business should not be run the same way. I think people do need to recognize that uh if you're in government or a military and you've got that funding it does come from the taxpayer. Um and so yeah, let's let's invest it wisely. Now you've touched on a number of things in the comments uh, that that you just made. <laughs> Particularly standing out to me is the uh the inventor uh it's jumping up to venture capitalists and saying, well we've got uh we've got Afworks or we've got uh you know DOD as a customer DARPA or something like that. Now now we've made it, right? Give us money and now I trust, Narian, that especially space industry venture capitalists will have their heads screwed on straight. A Michael Mealing is not going to rush into that deal. Right? He's going to smile, lean back a little bit and ask more questions and very quickly discover that they don't have a message to market fit and the total addressable market is quite low, right? And he'll pass. So I I don't think that there's uh, too much danger in getting into trouble in that area. Um, One observation I'd like to make is what the the military uh, has got going on here. This situation is a lot like um, television shows. And uh, and scripts for episodes. Uh, if we were to hop back to 1989 or something like that, and it's Star Trek: The Next Generation or something, that's something our uh, our viewers and listeners ought to know about. Um, those folks at, at the studio would get solicited uh, scripts for episodes from from anybody. Right, I could write, so you could write something and send it in, and they would just buy some right uh, for the concept maybe maybe it's not even that well put together or written but they like the concept and they're, they're like well let's put these on uh, into the safe basically into the back burner right and boom there's a writer's strike and there was at the time right oh well let's go into the safe and pull out some of these scripts because we can't hire a writer through the system uh, and we have to hire a writer through the system. So let's see what we got here. And they might mash a couple of these ideas together. They might uh, take one of these out and polish it up as best as they can, uh, even though they're not the professional writers, right? Um, because they have to produce something. And so I believe there's a parallel here with the military where they will look and go, yeah, that is an interesting idea. We don't need it right now right? We're not going to produce this script into an episode right now. We're not going to take your idea and turn it into a full-fledged thing right now. But let's bring it in-house. Let's uh, take ownership of it, right? Let's put our stamp of ownership on the idea and, uh, and compensate you in some way. And uh, keep it on the back burner just in case, right? And so, I, I, like, why wouldn't they do that, right? There is the situation, though, where uh, discernment and filtering. Um, what are the, what are the qualities or criteria by which the military will choose that thing to, uh, to take over, right. Or bring in house. Um, that, that's where that comes to be really important. So I'm not too concerned <clears throat> about, uh, oh, poor ignorant venture capitalists <laughs> jumping into funding something just because, uh, military or DARPA or whoever has, uh, has, has picked it up. I, you know, I think they've got better uh, calculation skills than that and can figure out the total addressable market here is, is small. Um, You know, and this happens to me every day in area where uh, I get people throwing their pitch decks at me over email or LinkedIn messenger and will you have a look at it. And I just don't do it anymore. I did it for the first year um, for free. And now if they want my help, they're going to have to pay for it. Um, because again it sucks up that non-scalable founder time and i've seen so many of these darn things narian that are just technical right 15 page technical document about how cool their thing is well yeah but who's your customer where are your customer testimonials where even if you don't have buyers where are people who want the solution that you're providing Um, writing a quote right that should be on one of these slides I had this terrible problem and Narian came along with this really cool system. And as soon as he's able to provide it, this is good enough for me, folks. As soon as he's able to provide it, you know, in a repeatable, good, functional way, I'll buy it and I'll pay X amount of dollars for it. All right. Now we have something, right? We've got something there. So that is the kind of thing that founders ought to be focusing on. Not, hey, look at the cool whiz bang um, part of this thing.
0: Yeah, I mean, absolutely. You know, in all your experience so far, talking to all of these hundreds of people, with all of these other entrepreneurs as well, you have a sense of what are the most underappreciated ideas when it comes to executing on early stage ventures.
1: Yeah, well, the key thing is the the concentration, too much concentration on the engineering, right? This the the cool part of the solution. Um, and I've made no secret of, of what I'm about to say next year. Uh, I have shared the heck out of this. I've got a course that, that's a seven-hour workshop um, that, that goes into this. Every commercial business, whether you're selling lemonade on a stand at the side of the road or running a space industry firm, you need these systems. You need lead generation, right? People people need to come from somewhere to see your idea. You need qualification as a system that is filtering for people who are a fit from people who are not a fit, okay? And uh, and I can get into detail um, in the course in that about exactly how you do that and what you filter for in that qualification system. You need a closing or conversion system to turn some of those qualified um, prospective customers into buyers, help them become buyers. How do you do that, right? And this needs to repeat over and over again. Uh, and, and many of the businesses, including my own from time to time, I've run many businesses. Um, I've forgotten this and not had my lead gen qualification and, and conversion processes running along. right? I get too concerned with the, the fulfillment side of things, right? Look at the cool stuff we're going to do. And I don't have that steady churning, stream of potential customers showing up and appearing in front of me because I don't understand my distribution channel or what platform I should be on, how these people are going to find out about me. So those are, that, that's one major thing. Too much concentration on engineering, not enough on these systems of getting a consistent flow of potential deals coming your way. Um, fulfillment also, <clears throat> you know, it's like, great, you engineered the solution. Great. But that is not the same thing as delivering it over and over and over and over again. Consistently, great quality, great delivery, right? Doing what you said in the time frame you said you'll do it, right? Supply chain, inventory management, uh, hiring, employees on the production floor, scheduling, right? Productivity. Um, <laughs> finally, I think... This is, a, this is a thing there, that most people never encounter because they don't get their businesses off the ground. Remember, if we go look at uh, the, the, the Valley of Death uh, image from Vern Harnish's scaling up, most businesses never get over a million dollars a year, right? They, they never become a million dollar valuation business, right? Increasing cash flow is just as much a death and killer as no cash flow. And, and a lot of broke folks are going to be shaking their heads going, what do you mean? Jason Kanigan is telling you more money is not going to solve your problem if you've got a bad business. All it's doing is increasing the speed at which you kill yourself, right? If I've got a restaurant and I'm churning out food, right? Even if I have a lot of customers, if I don't understand my product costing, how much does it cost for me to serve this plate of food, and I undercharge, with every plate of food served, I am getting further into debt. Right? If it costs me $12 to produce this plate and I'm selling it for 10 and my restaurant is busy and I think I'm a success, every plate of food I'm serving drives me $2 into the poorhouse. <laughs> and so many businesses are in this situation. I was a credit manager for four years for a national electrical wholesaler. I collected $2 million a month. I know a hell of a lot about risk, <laughs> getting paid, talking to people about this very touchy subject of money and understanding that just because their revenue increased doesn't mean that they're doing better they could be driving themselves into the ground and so you got to watch for these things
0: yeah i mean uh, absolutely unfortunately this uh, is not very well discussed or even uh, very well debated in in our uh, industry you know in all of these uh, sense and i guess it's also the role of who does this uh, because it's not a part of uh, a VC to coach people to think about you know their business in this fashion. Probably the accelerators are built in way where they just want founders to get more money from VC so that they can increase the value of their own equity as an accelerator. And so there's a very you know cultural thing in uh, in all of this. But you know on this aspect as well, do you think that there's distinct you know, different ways of doing business in different cultures in the space industry so far, or I know that, you know, the American way of doing business is very different from the European way uh, as well. So normally, once something is very successful in in America, that's when Europeans think that's an idea that they can try after. (laughs) So, um, yeah, I mean, this is like the, you know, the whole SpaceX uh, reusability and many other aspects as well there's i mean of course some innovation that happens in europe where they are leaders in that as well but you know that's kind of quite rare uh, as well so is this uh you know something cultural in different systems and but how much of those cultural aspects affect the way you know early stage entrepreneurs think
1: yeah well every business class will show and tell you that uh, different cultures have different ways of doing business right um so we can't ignore that, right? How much bribery, frankly, is involved, right? And in certain cultures, that's much more acceptable and even expected, right? Um, we, you know, there are space companies in Africa. We know this, right? At great launch sites, um, economies ready for infrastructure investment and all the goodies that that will bring. Um, how much graft is in those situations, right? I, I don't know. So this is an area that, uh, I'm probably weakest on Marian. Uh, I'll admit, <laughs> I'll make the damning admission. Um, you know, I know the North American market really well. I know a little bit about um, the European market, but the Far East in that I don't know a whole lot about. Right? That's I've had a few guests on. I really try, right, to uh, to learn about it. I'm eager to learn about it. Um, but it's it's a different world. Um, the folks who <clears throat> picked up a uh, big share of OneWeb, for example. Um, that, that satellite constellation with the British government, I don't know anything about them, right? Uh, so it's, you know, it's a big world out there. In some ways we'll say it's a small world, but there's a lot going on and I'm not a full time journalist, right? A lot of people seem to think I'm a journalist. No, I'm a business owner. I got (laughs) I <laughs> have businesses to run and insights to help provide for my clients and that. Right. So I can't be everywhere and know everything, but um, you know, certainly there's cultural differences and they do have a strong impact on how the, uh, the businesses are going to be carried out. And it's probably a good idea. If you're going to do business with the, with another culture, folks from another culture, uh, take the course, right? <laughs> Take go find a, a course on like, what are those differences and what can I expect here? i you know maybe it'll be a little outdated maybe it'll even be wrong in some cases but at least your radar will be on and you'll be thinking okay they are not going to approach this conversation in an, in a carbon copy way of the way i do right and I, um hmm i think for the cold star project my show that's that's a major driving factor for me i want to find out about you my guest right the individual right i want to find out what is narian about what is he like right i know from having interacted with you, you're a very generous person. Um, you keep your cards close to your chest a lot of the time, but with your friends, you're very uh, helpful, right? You've just given me things on occasion, which I'm very appreciative for, right? I'm forgotten about, um, and uh, and and you've learned very quickly what works and what doesn't in business, right? With Sat Search and the the evolution of what's a good customer for Sat right? You are not doing things the way. Uh, another quote unquote directory type or ma- matchmaking um, firm might operate and it's gotten you much better results <laughs> in some cases <clears throat> doing the opposite of what the the uh, herd is doing is probably the best idea so yeah so just finding out like and approaching these things with the with the open mind of like all right It's not, going. you know, their approach is not going to be my approach and I need to be aware of what that's going to be. Um, You know, if I was for some reason to talk to uh, a Chinese firm, China has been punched in the face for 200 years. Right. And I I have a very strong um, empathy for that. Right. If I was punched in the face for 200 plus years and I got back up and was able to do something, I might want to walk around with my fists in the air, too right and be, be right? it's it's understandable like i don't want them to do that and i hope with it uh, we all evolve beyond that quite soon um, i want to avoid potential conflicts uh, coming up between uh, between nations and geopolitics is very important to me um but but I can understand where they're coming from, and, and I'm going to be watching for that. Right? There, there's a there's a bit of ego in there, and um and protection of ego in that, and they may not even be consciously aware of that. The folks on the other side of the table in that conversation. So, um, there is a sales trainer I like named Jim Padilla, uh, and I've been on his show, and he's been a guest on mine. Uh, um, and he talks about. Getting onto the bench with your, your um, negotiation partner, right? Or your potential customer. And you're sitting on a bench. So instead of being across the table from each other, you're both sitting and facing the same direction as much as possible getting into that mindset. So I think people would be well advised to go into discussions and, and look at how is business being done in these different areas of the world with that kind of mindset.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, absolutely. I mean, a lot of uh, interesting insight and I mean, a lot of the things that you kind of mentioned overall, I guess, you know, people should really listen to because I also come from a typical, you know, engineering background at the end. And it's very easy to like go into a corner of thinking about technology a lot. And I also have to, you know, then have to pull myself to know what are people willing to pay to, you know, get the solution out of me at the end. And that's something that needs uh, a lot of conscious uh, effort by engineers, especially to then get out and uh, really clear he- clear your head about whatever you're trying to build and then uh, look at um, what are people then willing to pay uh, for that solution at the end. And in fact, uh, one thing that's really worked well for us, you know, after especially having iterated, as quickly as possible as we could at SatSearch as well is having to tell somebody that something's already built and asking them the price for it. So this is something that, you know, we've kind of done consistently where I just tell people that, you know, yeah, I mean, assume that that solution is kind of built by us uh, and try to find out what the price are they, you know, willing to pay for it and wh- how much of that is repeatable and how consistently can we repeat it? You know, what is the distribution cost of it? What is the customer acquisition cost for it? What's the lifetime value of this particular customer for us? And you know, then look at, um, is this uh, the same way that we could sell into China or Japan or Korea or the US and Europe? And you know, that's one thing that we've kind of learned where if we can have that model kind of very well fleshed out and replicated regardless of the culture, regardless of everything, of course the only thing that might differ is price points depending on you know what their people are selling at the end and uh, you know how willing are people to then uh, provide exchange rates for the service that you want to uh, provide at the end um yeah i mean this is something i guess works very well in software environments right because i mean in for us uh, this is the same thing that we do with consistently with every supplier it maybe doesn't really work very well in the hardware uh, environment so well at the end so
1: well, I'll push back on that. <laughs> I think it, I think it does. Um the you know and thank you for bringing up cost of customer acquisition and lifetime customer value in that. Um CAC and LTV are very important metrics for any business. Uh and and you see uh engineering-minded space folks rushing into business without looking at them at all. Um in a manufacturing sense, what you're able to do is uh before you make anything, Folks listening, talking to you, before you make anything or engineer a beautiful solution that you find out nobody wants, (laughs) which happens all over the place in every industry, not just space, software, people do it all the time, rush out and create a a solution to a problem that nobody said they wanted (laughs) or will pay for. Um, Go and ask people, monetize the problem, right? How much does it cost for you not to solve this problem, Mr. Potential Customer or Ms. Potential Customer, right? Right. Oh, if you leave it alone, what's it going to multiply to over several years? Is that a significant amount for you? You know, do you want this solved, right? Okay, how much would you pay to solve it? And I like to charge uh, 10, 15, 20% of the size of the problem as my solution. I found 10% of the size of the problem is a very good number for people to automatically say, well, that's a no-brainer. Yes. Then I take that number all right, it's a, a million dollar problem. They'll spend $100,000 to fix it. What can I make for $100,000, right? Or, or how many customers can I get over a year or whatever for this? Okay, 100,000 times X, right? Uh, I can get five customers for it. Okay, 500,000. Okay, what can I make for this number? Uh, and then cutting off some for, for my margins or profit or whatever, right? That I want to keep at the end. Or maybe I just want to break even. And uh, my point is to capture more market share and get customers um what can i make with that budget and then go and engineer the solution and see okay it's like narian i want a car well great <laughs> how long is a piece of string right do, do i want the yugo <laughs> do i want the the volkswagen beetle do i want the cadillac do i want the uh the maserati do I want the BMW, right? Do I want the Rolls Royce, you know, with the layered uh, front panel with 400 uh, pieces of wood or something like that, right? <laughs> carefully custom glued together, right? What do you want, right? And what can I provide? So there's always there's always a sort of a duct tape and spit solution. I like to joke about it, <laughs> at the bottom end, uh, where you can make this thing and then. Prove the market and then improve on it later, right? We talk about minimum viable products. Uh, here's, here's this in action. Um, but again, what do most space engineers do? Sit at home, uh, create some beautiful crystalline solution, right? That shines in, in, in the sunlight. It looks very nice, but, uh, it, they can't sell it, right? And, uh, and they haven't even thought about selling it. They just think people are going to fall on their butts and uh, be bowled over by the beauty of this, the elegance of this uh, solution um, to a problem that they don't even recognize exists, and buy, it, pay for it. And um, no, <laughs> it's not going to happen. Go out and confirm. Right, every founder is delusional, including you and me, Narian. Every founder, right, delusional. Go out there and prove yourself right or wrong by talking to potential customers, getting them to tell you whether this is a serious problem in their mind or not, because you are not your customer. And then uh, what, what would they pay to solve the problem and then go engineer in that budget? What can I make? Right? And maybe you'll find you can't, right? Maybe you'll find it's impossible. And then you've got some issues, right? Then maybe it's time to go to government to, uh, to smooth out the risk, like an Andy Aldrin would want me to do. Right, uh, maybe it's time to go back to the customer base and say, "Look, I can't solve it for this, but I can solve it for double that." Right, here's my actual solution. I thought, "What do you think about that?" Right, and they'll hum and haw and, and give you an answer, <laughs> and we'll find out the truth. So, yeah, I think that's a good spot to end. I could go into this for seven or eight hours, but uh, <laughs> and I have <laughs> in, the, in the workshop you can get off of uh, off of the ColdStarTech dot com website.
0: Right. And, you know, one of the things that I do want to bring up here is um, your uh, website and the blog, salestactics.org. I've actually enjoyed reading some of uh, the posts that you've written there. And uh, it's really interesting always, because you kind of learn uh, quite a lot. Um, So I really appreciate that uh, resource uh, as well.
1: Well, thank you for bringing that up, because I don't I don't connect that to the space industry very often, right. I'll occasionally post something on LinkedIn or Twitter or something like that, but uh, yeah, I have a sales and marketing blog that's been up for uh, since twenty fourteen so what is that seven years now? How many people have held a blog up for seven years now Andy, that you know right? Most people can't do it trump <laughs> Trump abandoned his after two or three months, right? I remember reading a an article about that and going, huh, uh you gotta stick to things right, and uh yeah an article a month or, or more for uh, for 7 years there. So thanks for pointing that out. That's salestactics.org uh for those who missed
0: it. Yeah, I mean absolutely and uh, you know uh, why I wanted to bring this up is um, and we did discuss a lot of the problems that uh, you know come up when you think about uh, how do you approach uh, you know selling technology based products at the end. If you would have to have a prescription where people would you know, want to start. I mean, this is my final question to you. Where do you think the people who, I mean, let's say they are founders who are all engineers and they don't want to bring in anybody with business backgrounds into the company just because they don't like it. There's a bunch of um, introverts who just want to be doing, you know, engineering things and somebody figures out that I want to do sales now, right? Let's assume this scenario uh, here at the end. (laughs) And, uh, If that is the case, what would be your prescription on where should somebody then start? And how would you then, you know, advise them to go through this journey of figuring out the first check?
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, so very much what I've been talking about. Um, I'll add, first of all, get the book Business Model Generation. Um, It's a very good book. And uh, it. I mean... I don't mean just as like the content in it. I mean, the way the book is put together is a very good book. And it, uh, it tells you everything that you ought to be doing and gives you multiple perspectives on how you could make money with your idea. Business model generation. Um, it's a, it's a it, like a landscape format book, not a portrait one. So it's wider than it is tall. Um, getting out there and getting into the head of your customer. Right, and discovering what their point of view is first. Right. You are not your customer. The things and I have been a copywriter, a person who writes advertising for, for other businesses for twenty five years or more now. And I had I spent the first ten years learning that lesson. Okay. The things that I valued and thought were important about a product or a service were not what other people valued. <laughs> and that was a hard lesson to learn. You were not your customer. And so it's very important to get out there and talk to them. By all means, be the engineer. I know you love engineering. I know you love it. I'm not telling you to not be you, right? But carry that kernel of of, of knowledge, of engineering insight and, and desire down the road a little bit. Don't bust out your drafting table and get into CAD and start plugging things together just yet, right? Go out there and find out What does your customer, your potential customer, believe to be the truth about this particular problem, right? Is it serious for them? Now, folks, a serious problem can be I'm hungry and I want lunch. Boy, (laughs) when I'm hungry and I want food, that's vitally important to me and I will pay, (laughs) right? (laughs) And there are options that I don't know exist, right? If some private chef was to come along and say, Jason, I want to help you. Uh, I'll charge X amount a day for me to make you uh, personal food. There is a number at which I would instantly say yes, right? And uh, it's probably higher than some people would think, right? Because I already know the value. But I'm not willing to go out and do the search for a personal chef right now. I actually have a, a butcher, for example, who makes custom patties for me and things like I buy three months at a time, put them in the freezer. And then uh, now I I don't need to worry about what to eat. I'll just eat something out of that. Right. I'll go buy seafood um, to mix in with there. Um, So I'm not eating the same thing every day, but uh, you know, uh, how are they solving the problem now? Or why haven't they solved the problem before? Or what have they tried and failed at solving the problem with? Do they believe that anything can solve the problem? There's people who'll be like, nope, we've tried these eight things and nothing will work. Okay, that's valuable to me, but I'm not going to try and turn that person into a customer. <laughs> I'm going to learn from their negativity because that's going to help me with positioning and my marketing and message to market, right? But uh, but I'm not going to try and turn that person into a customer. Stop trying to turn everybody into a buyer, too. Um and realizing, I guess, very quickly, you would realize uh, in going around and talking to potential customers that um, people don't value or recognize this solution or the beauty or importance of the solution the way you do, right? They're it, it, just going to be like, I don't care <laughs> right? a lot of the time. And your job is to dig and find out, are there people who care? Is it two out of 10 or something like that? That's a market. That's a niche, right? Um and so then I've got to start doing marketing that helps those people raise their hands and say, "Yes, I'm one of the two of ten. I'm over here." Okay. Um, so getting out there and actually talking to your your target market and curing your delusion right? does this does this uh, you know problem exist out there or not? Can I? Does it already exist? If there, are there people out there who already agree that this is a problem, or is it one I have to educate them about and make them go, "Oh." which is not necessarily bad either. It's slower, but you may capture the market pretty easily with something like that because you're the only person um, pushing that message out there, right? Like, hey, you've got a problem over here. So, yeah, and then going back and, and uh, following your love of engineering and designing a solution that elegantly fits into the budget of, uh, of what they're willing to spend um, to solve that problem.
0: All right, Jason, you know, we've spoken for an hour and uh, it's been really kind of super insightful as always. Uh, At the end, I would recommend any of the listeners to go check out the Cold Star Project on YouTube and, you know, listen to the very many episodes uh, with entrepreneurs, investors, um, you know, everybody under the sun at this point in time in the space industry. Um, And of, of course, you know, Jason, if somebody wants to reach out to you, what is the best way?
1: Probably through LinkedIn. And, uh, and connecting with me, sending me a message and that you can go to the cold star tech website and there's some contact stuff in there. Um, but I'll be, I'll be a little more friendly through LinkedIn. <laughs> I had, I had a guy, uh, book something just from the website without ever talking to me. And I messaged him in the middle of the night. I'm like, what, what is this? <laughs> are you, are you trying to pitch me something? and just breaking into my schedule and you he realized he'd overstepped a little bit. <laughs> so yeah, connect with me on LinkedIn, uh, be a little chatty. Let me know, you know, what's, uh, what's going on and, and what you're about. Um, but yeah, and the cold star project is on YouTube. It's all also available as an audio on, uh, on every major platform from Amazon music through uh, Spotify and, and, uh, you know, a hundred other typical places.
0: Right. So thank you again, Jason, for taking the time and, uh, you know, hope to have you in uh, one of the uh, other episodes that will be coming out next year uh, to us, uh, you know, possibly as a follow up to all of this. Thanks again.
1: All right. Thank you. It's been a lot of fun and our our positions could easily be, play, uh, you know, switched. And, and you've been a guest on my show. I, I encourage people to listen to that as well.